0: All right. Um, just take liberty for just a minute uh, again and, and tell you guys, m- my wife and I are uh, beside ourselves about this opportunity and uh, really feel loved by this church already. Um, I totally wasn't anticipating the, the response from both services, but, um, you know, it definitely makes things a lot easier um, when the people who are coming to serve uh, want us to be here. So, um, I just appreciate that. that. You don't know what that does for my wife um, and, and for me. And uh, I just appreciate you guys so much. And I really am excited to see God use this church here in Cartersville in ways that none of us are going to be able to wrap our brains around. So um, I, I'm just honored and humbled to be here. I, I just want you to hear that from me. So um, let's do this. Let's get our Bibles. Let's go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Uh, I've told you before when I've been here that I was a kid who grew up in church. Um, As a kid who grew up in a church that that lended itself and and leaned very heavily towards legalism and moralism, you know, just follow rules and be good people, um, I always heard a message that sounded kind of something like this. Like, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you know him, you need to make sure you stay away from certain kinds of people, right? Anybody grow up in the church and you heard that message? Um, I, I even remember, like, there were pastors, they all used the same verse, and it's a verse out of First Corinthians 15, verse 33, to preach that message. And, and here's the verse. It says, bad company corrupts what? God, somebody knows a good character or a good morals. So I remember still to this day as a teenager going to youth camps or Going to church and hearing pastors speak and and they would always bring this up. Listen, you need to make sure there's a follower of Jesus. You stay away from those people who smoke and cuss and drink and have sex outside of marriage and watch rated R movies and listen to rap music. Because if you hang out with those people, if you put yourself around them, their bad company is going to corrupt your good character. Okay, so here's what I did as a young Christian. I I built up walls in my life so that those kinds of people, they were over there and I was over here and I didn't have to talk to them, interact with them. I didn't have to do anything that that made me kind of jump the wall or tear down the wall so that I could get involved in their lives. And by doing that, I thought, man, I I was doing God a favor, right? Like God must really be pleased with me because those people who do those things, they're there, I'm here and and I'm safe, right? Right? Well, I'll tell you what happened in my Christian life as I matured and as I started actually reading this book for myself. Um, here's what happened, and yes, our kids are having a fantastic time. <laughs> if you have kids, killer kids ministry. So um, here's what happened. First, that passage from 1 Corinthians 15, I started understanding that almost every preacher that had ever used that verse to preach that message had taken it out of context and failed to tell us what that verse meant and why it was in the Bible. Right? Like, Go to First Corinthians 15 and you find out that it is a passage where Paul is rebuking a church who is starting to deny the resurrection of Jesus. They're buying into a lie. And because they're buying into a lie, they're starting to live like this earth and this life is all they've got. And so Paul writes in verse 33, not to address behavioral problems, but to address heart issues, belief problems. And his point was this, if you keep buying into that lie that culture is selling you, it's going to corrupt you. It's going to corrupt you. Now, here's the other thing that happened. Um, I picked this book up and I started actually reading about Jesus. Anybody ever done that before? Like, forget listening to some guy, what he's got to tell you about Jesus, or, or reading this book through some lens that you grew up with, but just really opening these pages and flipping through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and reading about the life of Jesus. Here's what I found. I found that story after story described Jesus hanging out with the most lost, sinful people in society. And not only that, I read story after story where the followers and the friends of Jesus were hanging out with those same people. I read verses like Mark 2.17 where Jesus speaks up in a room full of religious and sinful people and he says, listen, I didn't come to call righteous people, I came to call sinners. That's why I'm here. Luke 19.10 where Jesus tells Zacchaeus, the wee little man, that salvation had come to his house and that's the reason he came to this earth is to seek and save lost people story after story of Jesus sitting across the dinner table and engaging prostitutes, tax collectors, thieves, sinful people. Here's what happened in my life when I started reading this book for myself. My view of Jesus and Christianity that I had grown up with as a kid in the church, it got all messed up by this book. Now, I would assume that for some of us in the room this morning... um, we need our view of Jesus and Christianity shaken a little bit. And I'll tell you why, okay? And, and I'm, just, I'm just assuming this because, again, grew up in church, you're in church, so I'm going to assume this, okay? I'm going to assume that maybe there are people inside the walls of this church this morning that say we love Jesus and we do the church thing, but we don't really ever engage the people that Jesus came here to rescue. Like Maybe there's some of us this morning, we're in church every time the doors are open, but we've never led a lost person into a relationship with Jesus Christ because we just don't hang out with those kind of people, right? Like Even though we work with them, they live next door to us, we just don't go there because as good Christians, we need to stay away from those kind of people. That's the message we've bought into. Here's my prayer for you this morning. I pray you leave, then this book, messes up your view of jesus in christianity that's my prayer that's my prayer listen church if we are going to truly live on mission and fulfill our purpose as followers of jesus christ first and foremost we've got to see jesus for who he truly is and secondly we've got to be willing to follow jesus in pursuit of people who are very very far from god Luke chapter 4, we're going to start reading in verse 16, and I want to explain to you what I mean. Here's what the Bible says is happening in the life of Jesus, and then Jesus speaks as well. Luke 4, starting in verse 16, the Bible says, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The Bible says, all the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him, and Jesus speaks up, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, I want you to get the picture of what's going on here, okay? Jesus, he's in his hometown, just like he does on every other Sabbath, he goes to the synagogue for a worship service, just like we're here this morning to worship, And in the middle of this worship service, Jesus gets to read a passage of Scripture. And someone hands him this scroll. And on the scroll is is the book of Isaiah. If you want to check out what the book of Isaiah has to say, go to the Old Testament. It's there. Well, Jesus opens up to Isaiah chapter 61. And he starts to read this passage that described who the Messiah, who the Savior of the world was going to come into this world to rescue. Okay, So he reads that passage, verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah 61. Jesus sits down after handing the scroll back to the attendant. Everybody's staring at him. And then Jesus speaks up and he goes, "Um, what I just read to you, that's about me. That's about me. He says, man, today in your midst, the scripture has been fulfilled. He goes, I'm here. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior of the world. I'm the one who came to rescue lost people. I'm here. That was about me. Now, I want to bring your attention back to those verses 18 and 19, which is straight out of the book of Isaiah 61. And I want us to understand this morning just how heavy and how serious the words that Jesus spoke from this book are. Because, man, I'm going to tell you what. We cannot miss, if we're truly going to follow Jesus and be a part of what he's doing, we cannot miss the kind of people that Jesus said he came here for. So I just want to read these to you. He says he, pro- he came to proclaim good news to who? The poor. He came to bring freedom for who? The captives or prisoners. Jesus said that he came to, re- to, to proclaim recovery of sight for the blind and to set free people who are oppressed. Now, I think it's easy for us to read those verses this morning and for our brains to go straight toward like people who live in poverty, Right? I think it's easy for our brains to go toward people who are in prison, people who are in jail, um, people who physically are blind or can't see, and those people in the world around us who are suffering injustice. I think it's easy for our brains to go there. Now, let me tell you, um, let me tell you this, and I'll explain it later. When Jesus makes this statement about freeing those people and having good news for those people, here's the thing. Jesus is coming to bring good news to those people. He is. He is. And he is going to set free those people I just described, ultimately. And I'll explain that to you later. But Jesus, most importantly, most importantly, when he spoke these words, he had different groups of people in mind. And here's who he's speaking of. He was speaking to the spiritually poor. He was speaking to the spiritual prisoner. He was speaking to that person who was spiritually blind and that person who has been spiritually oppressed. And I want us to get this this morning, so we're just going to walk through what this means. So if you take notes, write this down. Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor. He came to proclaim good news to the poor. Um, If you were here a couple of weeks ago, you heard me describe to you who the poor people are. The poor people that Jesus describes here in this passage and other places in Scripture. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 verse 3 says it like this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. Those people that Jesus is describing as poor in the Scriptures are those people who, like we talked about two weeks ago from Ephesians 2, who realize they are very far from God, they are spiritually dead, they're in the path of God's judgment and His wrath, and because they are sinful people, they deserve nothing from God, and at the end of the day, they can do nothing to change that. Like it's this picture almost of of a homeless person sitting on the side of the road, right? Head just hung in shame, cup extended asking for money understanding that his physical existence is totally dependent on someone else's gift jesus when he describes the poor in spirit he's saying that's what you look like spiritually you look like a beggar who is coward and cringed on the side of the street and you know that your spiritual existence unless someone gives you something man you're doomed you're doomed that there's a picture of this Later on in the book of Luke, in Luke 18, of a guy who walks into the synagogue when he's a tax collector, he's a sinful man, he walks into the temple, his head is hung, he won't look up, and the Bible says he beats on his chest, and he cries out to God, God, be merciful to me, I'm a sinner. That's what it looks like to be poor in spirit. God, you've got to do something for me. Jesus says, I came to bring good news to those people. I came to bring good news to those people. And the good news is this. God has heard your cry for mercy. God is a God of grace and love and forgiveness. And his grace and mercy covers a multitude of sins. The good news that Jesus came to bring poor people is I'm here. I am here to rescue you. That's why if you read the rest of Matthew 5.3, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? That they get the kingdom of heaven. They get the kingdom of heaven because of Jesus. Not not only that, Jesus says, I came to proclaim freedom for prisoners or for captive people. The people that Jesus is describing here are those people who are enslaved or captive to sin. It's a picture of those people who just cannot break free from the sin in their lives. Some of you guys get this because maybe you're here right now You've got a sin or sins in your life, and you cannot break them. Like, you've done everything you can to break yourself free, and you can't break free. Some of you guys get this because you know people like this. They are prisoners to their sin, right? Jesus says, I came to free those people. Here's the truth. Every single one of us in this room have fallen into that category at some point, Romans 6 says before we knew Jesus, we were slaves to sin. We lived life however we wanted. Romans 3 says we didn't look for God, we didn't seek Him, we didn't understand Him. We just did whatever we wanted because we were obedient to sin. We were enslaved to it. Jesus says the good news for you is this. There is a way out and I'm the way out. That's what Jesus says. He goes, listen, if you want to break free of your sin, I can do it for you. You've got to understand this morning, if you don't know Jesus, and even if you do, this is good for you to hear. At the cross, Jesus became your sin. He took the payment for your sin, and he died to kill your sin, and he rose from the grave three days later to conquer your sin. This morning, if you are a slave to sin, the way out is Jesus. And if you don't know him, I pray that you come to know him before you leave this place. Listen to me. If you're here this morning... And you do know Jesus here's your good news you are a slave to sin no longer that's good news isn't it church listen to me not only did Jesus become your sin pay for your sin conquer your sin but he put his Holy Spirit inside your body if you know him so that every single day you could put your sin to death that's why in Romans 8 Paul says we have no obligation to sin anymore Like, we don't have to say yes to it anymore. It has no power over us. So, uh, let me put some responsibility on you, church. If you know Jesus this morning, here's what this means for you it means that we don't have excuses anymore to go, ah, that's too tough for me. That's too tough for me. I can't break free from that, I can't get past that. Listen to me, you're not a slave anymore. You have no obligation anymore. You have everything you need through Jesus and his Holy Spirit to conquer and defeat and kill your sin. A Christian living enslaved to sin is like a prisoner sitting in an open jail cell. Like, get that picture, right? Dude sitting in jail and, man, it'd be great to get out of here. I'd love to leave. This stinks. And the door's wide open. We would look at that guy and go, what an idiot, right? Dude, like, get up and walk out. Jesus is saying, it's the same as true, or the same is true for you if you know me. You are enslaved no longer. Put the sin to death and walk away. Get out. Friends, this morning we have good news. We have a God who loves us and who has freed us. Jesus not only says that, he says, but he came to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind. If uh, if you're like me and you grew up in church and... Maybe you didn't grow up in church, you probably still know this song. I grew up in church singing a famous hymn called Amazing Grace, all right? I got the last service to do this, so I'm going to make you do it too. Let's sing this together. You know it, right? It goes like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Keep going. I once was lost. But now I'm found. And what does it say? Was blind, but now I see. You guys are, you guys sing beautiful. That was amazing. Um that, that is the picture Jesus is painting in this verse right here. When he says, I came to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind, Jesus is describing spiritually blind. People Who are walking through this life Not seeing God Not looking for God Not recognizing God They are walking through this life Believing that this life is all they've got They are walking through this life Not understanding that one day They will see God face to face And answer for the way that they've lived their lives Jesus says, here's what I came to do I came to take the veil off those people's eyes He says, I came to rip the scales off spiritually blind people's eyes and to show them the way to God. And who's the way to God according to Jesus? He's the way to God. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Listen to me this morning, church, and and if you're here and you don't know Jesus, there is one way to have a relationship with God, and his name is Jesus. Jesus. And if you are trying to find God, trying to seek God, trying to make sense of God, it begins and ends at the feet of one man, and his name is Jesus. If you don't know him, I pray you come to know him this morning. He is the way. Jesus also says, lastly, he came to free the oppressed. We live in a world that is not only full of sin, but it is full of the effects and the consequence of sin. Full of it. Um, I've gotten the chance over the past 10 years in ministry to travel around the world and to go uh, serve people, less fortunate people. I've had the chance to go um, to places like Brazil, Peru, Nicaragua, Jamaica, um, been to Israel, been to Burkina Faso in West Africa, a lot of places. I have seen oppression because of sin in ways that I can't even still wrap my brains around. Listen, I've gone into villages in West Africa where there are literally moms and dads who don't have enough food to feed all of their kids. So they pick one or two kids to feed and they've got to let the other one starve to death. Because if they try to feed all of them, all of them will die. Um, I've been in villages in West Africa where people are dying from mosquito bites because they contract malaria and because they live on less than a dollar a day, they cannot afford the $2 medicine to clear up the disease. I've gone to places in Nicaragua where people are literally starving to death because they have no food, no electricity, no running water, nothing. Um, I've heard stories overseas about how children are being sold into slavery by their parents so that the family would have a chance to survive and to live. Horrific stories I've heard. Horrific things that I've seen. And some of you guys feel this. Like some of you guys know people who are dying of horrible sicknesses. Some of you guys know people's stories, man. And they are so oppressed. And there's one reason all that stuff is in the world. And here's the reason sin. It's sin. God didn't intend this world to be that way, but when sin entered the world, it wrecked everything. And Jesus, here's what he says, I came to free people who are oppressed because of sin. Now, I told you earlier, I would tell you how Jesus is speaking in this passage to the physical needs of people. And I want to do that in light of of this verse on oppression. Here's what I want to tell you, church. For the people I just described to you, things may never get better in this life. Like it breaks my heart to know when I walk into the bush in West Africa that those people that are living there in mud huts with no electricity, no running water, um, life probably will never get any better for them. They will probably live and die in that little village. Um, I know that there are people who have horrible diseases right now like cancer who will die because of that disease. Things may never change for them. Here is the hope and the good news of Jesus though. One day because of Jesus, when this life is over, all of those things will be done. All of them. And for those of us who come in this life to Jesus for spiritual rescue, we will one day enter a kingdom where there is no such thing as poverty or disease or sickness or sin or death. And we will live for all of eternity in the presence of the one who came to free people from those things. Jesus. Church, that is good news. And it is news that changes you when you fully understand it and you fix your eyes on that day. Listen to me, church, let's not get too comfortable here. Let's not get too comfortable here because one day this is done. We have got a greater kingdom to live for and we've got good news for people who experience oppression and injustice in this life because of sin. And the good news is this, that there's a way to free yourself from that. And freedom might not come in the next few years. But we're going to have thousands and millions of years together where you will be free because of him. That's the good news that we have to take to the world. If you go back to this passage, after Jesus makes these statements, guess how the people responded? They responded well. They actually liked the news that Jesus shared with them. The Bible says that these people looked at Jesus and they spoke well of him and they marveled at his gracious words. Now, it'd be fantastic if we could just close this book and pray and go home and that the story stopped there. That'd be awesome, right? We've been encouraged. This is good. Great. Um, The unfortunate thing is that the story doesn't stop there because just five verses later, the same people who are speaking so well of Jesus They try to kill him. They they try to drag him out of the synagogue and throw him off of a cliff. They try to kill him. Now, I want you to understand why they try to kill him, because this is important for all of us. Here's what happens, and then we'll read this and we'll close. Jesus, after he tells them who he is and what he's come to this earth for he starts pressing into these people's lives in such a way that they are forced to make a decision about what they believe about him and if they are truly willing to follow him in pursuit of those kinds of people. Look back down at this passage and and let me read this and I'll, I'll show you what I mean. If you go back to verse 23, we'll pick this up. And Jesus says to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we've heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. So it's almost like these people are looking at Jesus and going, fantastic, we love that, we're glad you're here, prove you're that guy. Prove you're that guy. Um, Jesus says, you've heard what I did in Capernaum and other places. Um, Jesus, before he arrived back in Nazareth, To to really kick his ministry off, he had done a few miracles before this. Go back to Mark 2, and and you'll find some of this stuff. Mark 1 and 2, one of the most famous miracles in all the Bible was performed at Capernaum. It was when those friends brought their crippled buddy on a mat to a house where Jesus was. Couldn't get in the door because there were so many people. So they cut a hole in the roof of the house and lowered him down. And what does the Bible say? Jesus forgave him and he told him to get up and walk. And he did. So these people are like, we've heard the stories. Prove you're the guy. Prove it. And Jesus knows what these people are thinking, so he goes, I know that's what you're thinking. And in a very interesting way, Jesus goes, but I'm not going to prove myself. I have nothing to prove to you. And if you look at these next verses, here's how he says it. He says, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up. Three years and six months And a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, and and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Jesus brings up these two prophets of God from the Old Testament, and here's why he did it. Because he wanted these people to remember that they had rejected these men, These men had been sent into the world for a very specific purpose by God to minister to God's people. God's people rejected these godly men. So you know what God did? He sent them to the Gentiles, to non-Jewish people, to offer hope and restoration. And here's what Jesus is saying by bringing these two guys up. He's going, listen, I'm here, and I'm here for a very specific purpose I've been sent by God. You can reject me or you can believe in me and follow me. But if you reject me, don't forget, God will send me somewhere else for someone else. Nobody at this point is speaking well of Jesus anymore. Nobody is marveling at his gracious words anymore. They're looking at each other going, "Um, can we kill this guy? Can we kill this guy? Church, this morning... um, It's easy to say great things about Jesus and to speak very highly of Jesus and to talk about how much we love Jesus when we're not really doing much for Jesus. It's easy, right? Like this is the easy part of being a Christian, coming to church with a lot of people who love Jesus and raising hands and singing songs and listening to the book taught. Um, That's not the test of our love for Jesus. You see, the test of our love for Jesus is this. Are we willing to do what he says and to follow him into the lives of people he's pursuing? That's the true test of love for Jesus. Jesus says it himself. He says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll do what I say, right? That's the test of our love for Jesus Christ. Church, I want to ask you a few questions this morning in light of this. Jesus calls us as his people to go into all the world and to make disciples of those people who do not know him, to engage the people that he came to this, to this earth to engage. In light of that, let me ask you this. Are you willing to do that? Like, how are you doing with that this morning? Are you, as a follower of Jesus, willing to go and to proclaim good news to the poor? Like, are you willing to step into the lives of those people who are in desperate need of a Savior and to say to them, I have good news. I have good news. Are you willing to go engage those people who are captive and enslaved by sin? Listen, again, we work with them. We go to school with them, some of us. We live next door to these people. Are we willing to step into the lives of people who are prisoners to their sin, no matter how bad their sin may be? And to say to them, there's freedom, there's a way out. His name is Jesus. Man, are we willing to walk into the lives of those people who are spiritually blind? They're not looking for God. They don't care about God. They don't recognize God. They don't see God. They don't even think about the fact that one day they'll see him face to face. Are we willing to go to those people to proclaim good news? Are we willing to engage the oppressed in this life? And that looks a lot of different ways. I'll tell you this, man. We've got people at Westridge right now who are serving prostitutes in downtown Atlanta. We've got people in Westridge right now who are serving less fortunate children right here in Bartow and in Paulding County. We have got people who are going all over the world to love on and to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the least of these that Jesus describes in Matthew 25. People who feel the oppression of sin. Are you willing, as a follower of Jesus, to go to those oppressed people and to share that there is freedom and his name is Jesus? And are you willing to take it a step further and even engage those people for what they need physically in this life? Because I think Jesus tells us to do that. Matthew 25, go, go read it. Listen to me. If we're gonna be a people on mission, if we're going to be a people who fulfill our purpose in Jesus Christ... It's time for us to tear down walls that exist between us and the world, and it's time for us to run into the world from which we've been saved and to proclaim the good news of Jesus with the poor, the captive, the blind, and the oppressed. Church, I pray, I pray that this church would be known as being a group of people in this community that do those things. I said this a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to say it again as we close In order for us to do this together, we've got to actually be people who believe the good news ourselves. Like, we can't ever afford to forget that before Jesus, we were those poor people. We were those captive people. We were the spiritually blind. We were the oppressed. If you forget that, if you forget that, then chances are you probably won't share that good news with other people. Like, it will just kind of become okay news to you right? But if you wake up every morning and you remind yourself, and I encourage you to do this, you remind yourself, I was that person. I couldn't do anything for myself. I wasn't looking for him. I didn't even understand him. I couldn't do anything for me, but Jesus came to do something for me that I could never do for myself. Praise God, that's good news. I've got to tell somebody today. You see, that changes everything. This morning, I'm going to do two things. One, if you don't know Jesus, we're going to give you an opportunity to know Jesus. Two, um, we are going to worship together as a church. And we saved um, a couple of the songs here for the end so that we could, as a church body, raise our voices, raise our hands in celebration of who Jesus is and what he's done for us as spiritually poor, dead, imprisoned, enslaved, oppressed people. This morning, church, I, I, as we stand in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you and encourage you. Let's sing these songs like we believe Him. Let's celebrate Him. He has brought us good news. Um, I'm going to ask you, if you would, just bow your heads, close your eyes. and For those of us that are here, we don't know Jesus. Um, I, I'll say this. There's no magic prayer in the Bible uh, that saves anyone, but the Bible does teach that to come into a relationship with God through Jesus that there are some things that you need to believe and confess about Jesus, and you can do this right in your seed in the quietness of your own heart. And here's what you need to believe and confess you need to be willing to believe and confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came into the world to take sins away. You need to be willing to confess and believe that Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life, and at the end of his life, he went to the cross to die in your place for your sins so that you could be forgiven, accepted, and loved by God. You need to be willing this morning to believe and confess that three days after Jesus died, he rose from the grave to conquer sin and death and hell so that he could give eternal life to any who would ask. The Bible says, if you believe and confess those things, that God will save you. He will save you. And he will put his Holy Spirit inside of you to give you the power and the ability to live the life here on this earth that he's called you to live. I just want to give you just a minute in your seat. If you need to confess that, if you need to believe that, just tell God. God, I believe those things. I believe Jesus is who he said he is, the son of God. Payment for my sins. Holds the keys to death and life. God, this morning I place my faith in him. I want a relationship with you. Save me and give me eternal life. This morning, if you've made that decision for the very first time to place your faith into Jesus Christ as your savior, as your Lord, as your way to have a relationship with God, I just want to pray for you. I did this in the first service too. We don't do this a lot, but I just want to be able to pray for you. Right where you're sitting, would you just lift your hand up? I just want to pray for you. Hands going up all over the place. Father God, I thank you for these people here this morning, God. New brothers and sisters in the kingdom. I thank you that you are a God who is so big and so powerful that you can bring dead things back to life again. God, we praise you that in our presence this morning, God, you have supernaturally rescued dead people. God, we thank you for Jesus who makes all of this possible. For the rest of us, I just want us to stand. Right where you're sitting, let's just stand up. These guys are going to lead us in a couple of songs. Let's celebrate Jesus this morning. Father, we love you. We want you to be honored and glorified. We pray this in your name. Amen.